Hey everybody, welcome to Palm Tuesday, something I never thought I'd say. Uh, it's really great to uh, be able to be here. It was, it was fun to get to, to share that with the crowd on Sunday, and it's great to be able to, to get to share this time with you guys as well. Uh, it was interesting as I was preparing for this lesson, I was preparing last week for it now already, and it was an interesting week for me because as any parent knows, uh, last week was spring break week which is one of those things you simultaneously want to try and really enjoy together, but you also just really just kind of want to survive normally and get to the end of that. Um, my wife was awesome. Uh, my wife Robin took our three daughters uh, who are 10, 8, almost 9, and 2, and she took them and took them to her mom's, uh, my mother-in-law's, for the week. Uh, so I was without them for the entire week, and I have to be honest, it was magnificent. It was amazing, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm saying, and if you're not a parent yet, uh, it may seem like I'm a bad dad for saying that, but there may come a time in your life where you will understand what I'm saying, and then when you have these feelings, you'll remember me talking at this point and realize it's normal, and it's okay. It was pretty wonderful. It was pretty peaceful, but it was also uh, pretty boring, and I have to admit that as well. Uh, I really did miss them. Uh, as the week went on, especially uh, some of the drama and excitement they add to my life. Uh, if you don't know my middle daughter, Sophie, uh, she is a joy and is so full of life. Uh, several weeks ago when I taught, I was talking about uh, just the joy of trying to teach her how to ride a bike <laughs> for the first time, uh, but she has those moments of joy all throughout her life. Uh, this fall was another example of it. We were over at some friend's house watching uh, the Notre Dame game, so we're probably in the midst of massive levels of disappointment at that time. Uh, but in the midst of the game, uh, we heard this loud thud and just screaming, crying, and I go running into the other rooms. What's happened? What's happened? I see Sophie uh, laying on the floor at the bottom of a flight of 10 stairs, holding her ankle. It's like, Sophie, what have you done? She's like, I jumped the stairs. <laughs> And she was in so much pain. I didn't really want to talk to her about it at that point in time. So we ended up taking her to the hospital later, and she definitely had some, some stuff going on that she had to get tended to and was on you know, a walking boot and crutches for a while. Uh, but in the hospital, uh, Robin got to talk to her, and she said, Sophie, what were you thinking? Was it worth it? And Sophie just looked up at her and got this big smile on her face, and she said, yeah. <laughs> I almost flew. That's the great thing about Sophie. But it's the great thing about kids in general, right, is that kids still believe that anything is possible, right? That anything, anything they want to do, they think that somehow they can figure out a way to do it. If I had a dollar for every kid I met that was short and unathletic and had no work ethic whatsoever but still believed he was going to play in the NBA, I would be a very rich person <laughs> by now, right? Kids just think that, like, hey, if I think it, I can do it no matter what. At what point, though, does that change for us, right? At what point do we get old enough to start to realize that life doesn't always work ideally like that? Because I feel like at some point it just kind of grows into us. And maybe it's just that experience of things not working out over time. Maybe it's just as simple as that. We just start to see and realize that things aren't working out very well. But maybe it's more. Maybe I, I feel like at some point we start to feel uh, these forces at play that are pulling us back, that are holding us down, that are keeping us 
for moving forward in the ways that we feel we should be able to in our heart. We've been talking about that as a church. We've been talking about it using the word gravity. Not necessarily the gravity as in like the force that pulls you to the earth that Sophie experienced, <laughs> uh, but these forces that pull you down. And, and talking about gravity as kind of the way the world has always worked or the way people have always been, the way people have always acted and always treated each other. We've been looking at this gravity. Maybe you felt these forces at play in your life. We probably all have as adults at least. Maybe it's from your past. Maybe there is something in your life, maybe a choice, a decision, something you did at some point in your past and you feel like no matter how hard you try, you just can't escape that. You can't get away from that moment. Maybe it's things that you're dealing with right now in life. Maybe it's something you're wrestling with or an illness or an addiction that as much as you keep wanting to move forward, you keep being reeled back in falling right back into the same things again. It just feels like you can never get where you need to be. Maybe it's something in how you were born, where you were born, or something about you that's always been a part of you, and it just feels like you started at a different starting line than everyone else. And at the very least, you can't seem to ever find a way to catch up. Or at the worst, it seems like there's uh, forces at play that are specifically geared towards holding you back. What experiences of gravity do you have? I think of my own life and I just think of my instincts as I go through life day to day and I just think uh, how often my instincts uh, lead me towards doing things that are hurtful or destructive to myself or others, right? And, and how often I keep having to resist uh, following those instincts in my life that keep reeling me in. This feels like a very depressing Palm Sunday service. <laughs> Tuesday, Palm Tuesday service. This is a very depressing Palm Sunday slash Tuesday service. But if we're going to understand Palm Sunday correctly, if we're going to really understand the story and, and what we're learning from this correctly, it starts with this dis dissatisfaction that the world is not what it should be, that life isn't what it should be. And if we don't start with some level of frustration, if we don't start with some level of dissatisfaction, we're never going to be able to understand what it was that Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday. Because so many times we can look at Palm Sunday and just uh, see, see the story of Jesus riding on the donkey through the streets and everybody going crazy, and we see it. And, and I grew up just thinking that it was the story of this great parade. Right, that everybody was just really happy, and so they were like doing all their happy things and waving their happy branches. Uh, to, to, it was the, the parade of happiness before the great thing that was going to happen later. So it was like the, the pregame parade, or like uh, growing up we had these homecoming parades. You'd have the homecoming parade, which was just the parade before the homecoming game that night. It was just the celebration before, before the big deal happened. And that's how I saw it, and, and I love that because I like happy people and I like praise. Like, I, I like parades a lot. I, I've yet to go to a parade as an adult because I'm scared of how much I like parades and I don't know what I would do when the candy starts flying, <laughs> right? Uh, parades are awesome. Parades are happy times. But this, what is going on here with Palm Sunday isn't simply a happy parade. There's more to this story than that. It's also not a random occurrence 
that people were throwing their coats down in the street and waving palm branches. Sometimes we think that it's just, it's just random things that they were doing. But walk with me through this. Let's say 2,000 years from now, somebody finds a picture uh, of today, of this, this time period, right? And they see a bunch of people uh, holding glasses of beer with uh, sunglasses that are in the shape of, uh, of like a year. Okay, what would we know would be going on at that point in time? New Year's Eve, right? We would know that, that, that the, the sunglasses that are going on and the drinking, that, that that is all a part of New Year's Eve. But if you were seeing it 2,000 years from now and you didn't know what New Year's Eve was and you just saw a bunch of people wearing glasses with a year on them, it might be confusing, right? You might think it's like a, a gathering of historians or something like that, like people who are just passionate about the calendar, right? And then, and then you would begin to think that historians probably had drinking problems, right? <laughs> if you're trying to like draw conclusions from this, right? But, but these things that we're seeing in this story, these things aren't random. The palm branches and the coats aren't random things. This was something that was already a part of their culture, like New Year's Eve is a part of our culture. What this was for them was called a Roman triumph. The parade that Jesus went on was a Roman triumph. So to understand that, we've got to go back even a little bit before the time of Jesus. Many of you, you've probably heard of the Roman Empire, but before the Roman Empire, there was the Roman Republic, which was the, the people of Rome, but the government was kind of by the people for the people. And so they celebrated the greatness. They celebrated the great things they had going on by throwing these uh, kind of victory parades that celebrated their heroes, Right? So they would get their heroes uh, who had gone out and, and represented them well in battle, and, and they would put them on these war horses, and they would lead them through the capital city on the war horse. And, and on the, the parade route, they would, uh, they would throw their coats down to celebrate, and they would, ra- uh, they would wave the palm branches, which were uh, symbols of, of the king, uh, like of royalty and of power and of goodness, right? And so they would, they would wave these palm branches and they would lead the person on the horse uh, through the streets and then they would end up in the temple at the end where they would make some sacrifices to the gods and then they would go on with their, with their day. So they had these triumphs, but over time, the Roman Republic uh, began to crumble. It began to fall apart. It's probably not surprising to you that people sometimes struggle to get along and sometimes struggle to agree on what should happen in the future. So the people who were trying to lead together uh, began to disagree and began to argue. And as the republic began to crumble, a man rose up whose name was Augustus Caesar. And Caesar rose up, and he rose up as the hero, and he said, hey, everybody, everything's falling apart, but guess what? I have the answers. I can fix the problems that you're facing. I know how to get rid of all the things that are frustrating you. I know how to make Rome great again. And so Caesar said all the right things and got them all excited. And they loved it. They were eating out of the palm of his hands. And so they decided to uh, make Caesar their leader. They decided to follow their hero. So they threw him a triumph just like the one that Jesus went on, and it was the last of the triumphs for the people. Because as Augustus Caesar walked that path and became the leader of the people, he then declared himself emperor and declared himself to be a god. And when you have an emperor god, it doesn't make sense to throw parades celebrating other people from that point on. 
right? So at that point when Caesar did that, and at the point when the last triumph happened, uh, from that point on, triumphs were only reserved for the next Caesar, the next emperor God who would rule the whole world as God. That is what became of triumphs. So Caesar had risen to power. Well, let's fast forward 60 years to the time of Palm Sunday, and you have the Jewish people that are living in their land, but they're in the Roman Empire, and they're really frustrated with life. They're dissatisfied with the reality that's before them. They look at their life, and they realize it doesn't look how they hoped it to. And no matter what they wanted from life and the steps they were taking to move forward, they felt like they could never get there. They were dissatisfied and frustrated, and by this time, 60 years later, Caesar was to blame. <laughs> He'd gone from hero that would rescue them to dud, who didn't do the things they hoped he would do, to scapegoat, who is now the cause of all of their problems. If they could just get rid of Caesar, then everything would be okay. Can you guys relate to that? Have you ever had these frustrating times in your life where you're frustrated with reality, you're frustrated with gravity, and you just said to yourself, hey, if this one thing would change, then everything would be all right. If I could just get a raise, then life would be good, and it'll be fine. If I could just get a new job, then all the pieces will be in place, and life will move forward for me once more. Or if I could just have a different spouse than the one I have, then all of my frustrations would be gone and life would be perfect again. We often have these times where we expect these things to fix everything for us, only to, find, to get that thing down the road, to get that raise, to get that new job, to get that new spouse, and realize that we still are dealing with the, some of the same realities that we were dealing with before. It's so easy to fall into that trap. The Jewish people were there and they desired change. And then this guy Jesus came around and he started saying the right things, talking about their Jewish heritage, their ancestors, and he started uh, doing these miracles that showed how powerful he was and all that he was capable of doing. And as they saw Jesus, they started to get really excited about this. They're like, hey, here's the answer, right? Caesar has been nothing but bad for us, but here comes Jesus, this guy, and he's going to be the answer for us. He is the one we need. He is going to be the one that's going to fix our problems. We just need him to take care of Caesar for us. And so you have uh, the parade starts, and you listen to what they say on the parade, and what they are saying is, Hosanna which is what Dan was saying means save us now. These are desperate people that are sick of how life is going for them, that are screaming, that are begging for something different. They are beg begging to be saved. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a fun, happy parade when I think about it. These are people that are desperate for change, and they see that in Jesus. So what we see is Palm Sunday wasn't just happy parades. Palm Sunday was a Roman triumph. Palm Sunday was the Jewish people saying that they wanted Jesus to be the next Caesar. They wanted Jesus to be the new emperor. They wanted Jesus to overthrow their problems and to take his place. This Palm Sunday was intensely political. It was a protest march of resistance. 
It was a planned coronation of Jesus who would overthrow the king. Palm Sunday was the people getting together and saying, Caesar's days are numbered because we got a new guy and he's coming for you. That is what Palm Sunday was about. And I'm fascinated by Jesus' response. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't warn them off, right? Um, imagine you're just some guy who suddenly gets thrown on, uh, on an animal progressing through the streets in a Roman triumph that everybody knows means that people are trying to make you the new king, but there's still a king that's alive and he's got a lot of soldiers, right? Uh, imagine how that would feel. I mean, I would be in that, I'd be like, hey guys, no, like, you just, let's, let's keep this down. Can we do it without the palm branches? You know, like, I'm glad that you like me, but like, let's, let's stop with the coats and stuff. You know, like, let's just like have a rally or something, you know, because this is going to get me killed, honestly, like if you guys keep this up, right? He could have stepped in knowing the risk that was there, knowing the danger that was there. Jesus could have stepped into this and put a stop to it. Uh, he could have told them that they were wrong. He could have called them off, but he didn't. He embraced their resistance, Kind of. Can you imagine how that would have felt to the people in the crowd? Right? Saying, we just need to get rid of Caesar and everything will be okay. Here's this new guy. Let's make him king. And then he goes along with it. So as you're watching it, you're saying, yes. He didn't tell us to stop. He didn't say, no, don't do it. He is in it with us. He's going to do the things that we hope he's going to do. He's going to make life better for us again. Can you imagine the relief? that that would have felt like to people who felt oppressed by Caesar. But we know the story. We know how the rest of the week went. We know that Jesus didn't find his way to the throne of Caesar, but he found his way to the cross instead. We know that the story is about something much bigger, that for Jesus, the triumph march the march of resistance and protest wasn't about kicking out Caesar. Jesus didn't come to be king alone, but to bring a whole new kingdom. His main rival wasn't just Caesar. His main rival was everything. It was gravity. It was the entire way the world has worked. It was about all the powers and all the systems and all the structures and everything behind Caesar not just Caesar himself. Yeah, it was a resistance march, but it wasn't just about Caesar. It was about overthrowing the whole thing. Can you imagine how good that might feel for us? If we go to our place of frustration, the Jews had their place of frustration. What about our place of frustration? Those places where we feel gravity, like I was talking about from our past or from our present or from where or how we were born? What about those things that we're feeling? What does it feel like to know that there's a resistance protest march taking place, but it's for those things? That the chains that are like holding us back, that we can't see but we feel that they're there, that someday those chains are soon to be gone, or the currents that we feel like we keep swimming against and can't get anywhere, or the forces that keep pulling us down to the ground. How good does it feel to know that God sees that and has a plan to do something about that? That's the message of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a promise to us that gravity's days are numbered. 
I want us to just think on that for a minute, to meditate on that. If you could just close your eyes for a second if you feel comfortable doing that. Just meditate on this phrase. Your experience of gravity is not the final story. Think about what that means for you. Your experience of gravity is not the final story. Let's come back together. Hopefully that's an encouraging thought for us. And that's one that I encourage you to think more on when you get the chance, when we go out from here. Uh, process it in conversations when we're over at Baker's together or uh, process it on your own on the drive home tonight or when you get time to yourself. Uh, there's something more to this story though, to this Palm Sunday story, to this protest march, because there's something really strange about it. Because the triumph march that people would come in uh, to become the next king, to become the next leader. The Triumph March, they would come in on their war horse down the streets, the nicest, strongest, tallest horse they could find. They'd come in on their war horse, backed by armies, backed by all this power and all this prestige. And we see how Jesus came into the city. How did he enter the city on his triumph? He went and he found a donkey's colt and had them get that for him. And he's riding this donkey into town. Can you imagine what the people must have thought when they were seeing him riding this donkey in? It's like, uh, it's like if the homecoming queen, instead of riding it on a convertible, like, like goes in the parade on like, the top of a beat-up 95 Civic, right? <laughs> I can only imagine what the people thought like, when, when his disciples go and get, get him this donkey, and he starts riding this donkey in, you know, people whispering, like, does he know? <laughs> Does he, does he know what he's on? Should somebody tell him like, that they got, him the wrong, they got him the wrong animal? Like, Surely there's some screw up in here somewhere, right? But he knew Jesus was doing this on purpose. He's making a point. The point he's making is that you can't fight fire with fire. You can't overthrow a king with another king and get somewhere because you just end up with a new king. You can't overthrow gravity with the very forces that make up gravity or you just get a different flavor of gravity. The point Jesus is making is that the resistance of Jesus is this whole new way of living. It's completely different than anything we've seen before. It's not just a different flavor of the same thing. It's a whole new thing. And where gravity, the forces we're used to, where gravity says, hey, you, you live life seeking power, Jesus says, you live life seeking peace. Where gravity tells us that we're, we, we reach out for strength, Jesus tells us that we reach out for humility. Where gravity pushes us towards dominance and oppression of others, Jesus leads us to submission. Where when we're afraid, gravity teaches us to protect, Jesus teaches us to surrender where when we're wronged, gravity pushes us towards revenge, Jesus pushes us towards love. Where gravity says war horses, Jesus says donkeys. 
So what does our protests of gravity look like? You know, if we sense that there's something here that needs overcome, that we sense that God's leading us into it and we want to be a part of what God is doing, what does our protest look like? Do, do our protest, do our pursuit of, of God's kingdom, our pursuit of these things that God is doing uh, that's different than what we've experienced, do our protests look like Jesus and how he entered? Or do our protests look like just replacing Caesar with Caesar? I mean, sadly, let's look at Christianity throughout the centuries, right? We have too much of our church history is trying to accomplish the kingdom of God, trying to accomplish the new resistance, the new protest, but doing it just in the same ways that the world has been doing it all this time. That's, that's what the Crusades were about, right? Is they were going to go through the world and they were going to seek for people to convert or else. And they were going to use whatever power they had to try and work that out. They were trying to seek a new kingdom, but were still using the ways of Caesar in that process. What about today? If we're honest, too much of the church today, too much of how we do things is still about politics and power. Too often that's the methods we use in seeking to bring about God's goodness that we're going to take back control of our country or our city for the sake of God. And we use still language of power and dominance and control and all of these things. But that's not what the Palm Sunday resistance looks like. It's not the same. For a good example of what the Palm Sunday resistance looks like, we can look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A week ago today, on Tuesday, April 4th, we had the anniversary of his assassination that we remembered. Here is a man in Dr. King who faced some of the strongest forces of gravity entrenched in systems and power and politics and all these things. And he faced these forces of gravity and he responded to them with a protest because gravity needs protested but he responded with a donkey protest. He responded with a Jesus protest. He responded with nonviolence instead of with power and violence and control. I love reading his writings and his sermons. Here's an excerpt from one of his sermons, and I want you to, to hear in this the language of Palm Sunday in the middle of the things he's saying. He says this, he says, I am concerned that Negroes achieve full status as citizens and as human beings here in the United States. There it is. He's saying, I am concerned that there is a need to protest. There is a need to fight, to work, to resist gravity. He goes on. But I am also concerned about our moral uprightness and the health of our souls. Therefore, I must oppose any attempt to gain our freedom by the methods of malice, hate, and violence that have characterized our oppressors. Hate is just as injurious to the hater as it is to the hated. Like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality and eats away at its vital unity. So there he's saying, hey, we do need to do something. There does need to be resistance to the, to the gravity that we face here in this world, but I'm concerned about how we go about doing it. I reject the methods of Caesar and I embrace the methods of Jesus. What about us? 
how do we do in our resistance, in our protest, when we face the conflicts of the world and the stuff that we have going on in life, how do we deal with that? What about in our marriages when we're facing difficulty or conflict? Do we enter into those situations on the war horse of Caesar or do we find a way to see what it means to have the humility of Jesus entering in on the donkey? What about in our conflict with our family members or our neighbors? How do we enter those conflicts? What about like Dr. King when we experience injustice in our life, when we are hurt, when people do things that's not fair to us or we see injustice to others? How do we respond to those things? Because they definitely need resistance. But do we resist on the war horse or resist on the donkey? I'm going to conclude today with an old school summary. <laughs> Palm Sunday isn't a happy parade, it's a protest march. And the understanding of that starts with this recognition that things aren't right. We have to start there. Things aren't right. From there, it proceeds to the hope that God has launched his resistance in the world. That's the story we see in the triumph march of Jesus on a donkey. And it ends with a challenge to reject the methods of Caesar and gravity. And may we join the resistance of Jesus who enters on a donkey, not a war horse. <laughs>